First Corinthians chapter five, and what a chapter it is. We're talking one on not just church discipline, but you kind of see the title in a few of your Bibles. It's the first thing it's outlined is sexual morality defiles the church. Go, going easy on us here. Um, we're going to start with a discussion question, and we're doing the whole chapter today. So, so Dylan, don't slow me down. No. <laughs> I promise nothing. No. <laughs> And the question here is this, what is the purpose of discipline? Asking people from a lot of different backgrounds, some of them that, uh, some that, that train and work with pets very much, so people with a military background, those with their child right next to them, um, <laughs> and then school teachers alike. What is the purpose of discipline? When I was growing up, the purpose of discipline was to shut up and do what you're told. Okay. <laughs> Why? <laughs> because it was correcting unacceptable behavior or... You were embarrassing me. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so part of that, the purpose, a purpose behind discipline is like, ma- ma- like uh, establishing, maintaining a value, right? Especially within children, right? Especially maintaining a, a value of respect, a value of the, the parent that you're with, uh, you know, respect for your elders. So that's very good, a moral value. What else? And to learn something. To learn something. Instead of their way, it's a new discipline. Mm. So you mean like perspective? Correct. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it helps you not be so selfish. Could be. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> well, what do you mean? I don't. I'm, I'm active um, listening, trying well, to figure out. To to learn what the lesson is about, and mm-hmm. some kids or people will interrupt, interrupt because they've got their own agenda. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason we're here is to learn something from the teacher mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to show that respect. Yep, so respect, but also... Um, enlightenment. Enlightenment, yeah. There, there is a benefit to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're talking more on self-discipline, right? To just, just overall in a class. Overall in a class, mm-hmm. yeah. Not necessarily the teacher disciplining you, but having self-discipline right. so you're getting something out of right. it. Yep. I always thought it was a correction to keep you on this right path. Mm-hmm. So just a, you know, might be a small correction or a large correction, but... Yeah. Need to be where the end site is in mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Redirected. Being corrected and redirected. 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 And that's for the sake of who? The one giving yeah. out the discipline? Uh, or the one receiving it? Receiving. Or the person receiving it. The person receiving it, yeah. There's a great quote, I don't have it written down. I read it sometime this past week. So sorry. I know that's a really profound way to start off a quote. Uh, <laughs> but the <laughs> but the quote was this that if the person who is giving out the discipline is the one benefiting and not the one receiving, then it's not for the right cause. Right, right. Some people just like to maintain control. Yeah, that doesn't sound like And disciplining others for, <laughs> for the sake of it not, you know, for no reason is one way of doing that. It's for good order. Good order, yeah. Mm-hmm. So not right, just with the, group. the well-being of the group, exactly. And you consider anyone here have dogs before? Or, or animals and pets? Yeah. Yep. Nan has had a few and probably helped many with others. If you don't discipline your dog, train them, there are, th- there are, there are things that happen. You open your door and they run out, or, or, or people come on your lawn and they growl and, and, and charge at people and attack <laughs> them. It's like, you know, dogs can be all over the mat, but with a little bit of guidance and discipline for their sake as well as the sake of others. Right? It's for their sake, but also for the sake of others. Um, 
the over, overall is good. God disciplines us, right? Pastor Dinger ta- will ta- mention that very briefly in a sermon. I'm like, ah, I'm talking about that today in class. Because I would retitle this section rather than Sex- sexual immorality defiles the church. Okay, yeah, that's true. Paul is addressing a lot more church discipline than he is necessarily the issue of sexual morality. He'll talk about sexual morality a lot in chapter 6. That's where I think he's addressing more of an issue rather than here he's addressing more of the perception and the, uh, how the church is addressing this issue or more their tolerance of it. It's a really interesting word. Like I said, Paul is not going to take it easy on us today. As we go through here, Ross, do you have anything to add to this? The purpose of discipline? No. Nope. Nope. I added it last week. I was about to say, he takes Sundays off for that. <laughs> he does it Monday through Friday, occasionally on Saturday, whenever he sees me. Um. <laughs> so 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. If someone could read that for me. It is actually reported that there is, a se- there is sexual immorality among you, and a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans for a man has been for a man has his father's wife yes that's it a man has his father's wife I rephrased it for you a little bit or this is a quote it is actually reported among you that there is sexual morality uh, of a kind that's not even tolerated among pagans a man is sleeping that's the word there is sleeping with his father's wife so there this is a big a big tonal change we're gonna work on it's funny We'll get through, we'll work on these two verses for like ever. Verses 1 and 2 to give you a perspective of what's going on, but also the cultural context of the time. And then verses 3 through 13 kind of fly through. And the reason being, you see, what do you notice about Paul's statement? And who is he talking to and what is he upset about? So first of all, uh, let's talk about who's Paul talking to in this statement. The body of the church. The body of the church. What about? They're allowing things to happen that should not be allowed. They're allowing, so they're allowing things to happen that should not be happening. You take a look at this. What concerns him more is not necessarily the individual sin. That does concern him. Don't get me wrong. He is a lot more concerned with the tolerance of it within the church. And we'll talk about that word. You know, sometimes it's a hot-button topic, that word tolerance. But we're taking the definition of it. And you'll see the words that Paul's using especially. Um, I think it's going to be the end of verse 3. You know, reported among you, a kind that is not even... There will be a, uh, pagans and I have tolerate. The word that will be is... Let me take a look. My verse over here. Oh, yeah. The beginning of verse 2. So that's just verse 1. He'll say, and you are arrogant. Right? He'll mention that. The Greek word there, we've also seen it before, is puffed up, meaning you're proud of it. You have a sense of pride and arrogance that goes with this topic. Meaning you have, you have a pride and arrogance that goes with the tolerance that you're allowing this in this church. It's really a... It's an odd topic that, that once we kind of unpack it a bit more, we'll start to make a little bit more sense. And this you is, a, is the y'all, right? Because he's addressing the congregation, right? Y'all are tolerating the sexual immorality, and you're puffed up and boastful about it. Try not to get ahead. I think the next slide will have what I want. No, no, the next slide. The next, next slide will. So let's unpack this a little bit more, talking about Greco-Roman culture. The sexual morality which has now come inside the congregation was, of course, endemic of the Greek Greco-Roman culture outside. So the answer is yes and no. Is this the... No. So obviously we're talking about Greek and Rome at this time, where uh, I don't know if I have this quote later, but there's a quote that comes from 
I don't know. I'm not as well prepared with the... I thought it was this one, but it's not. But the idea in Greece at the time that sex was just as important as, like, food and sleep. That it was a biological need, so they portrayed it. So it was a biological... Yeah, I know. Okay. Right? And to make it work... So, so if you were married, um, it was such a biological need for the man that he was legally allowed to sleep outside of his marriage, but the woman was not. Just to make it even worse for you. But uh, it, it was considered a biological need. So that's why there, there were... There were houses of pleasure, there were orgies were like a commonplace thing, and that's why it's so almost countercultural, especially at this time in Corinth, to say, hey, there is sexual immorality among you that's not even tolerated by a culture that embraces it. Right? That embraces what we typically consider sexually immoral. It's <coughs> that bad that even society today won't won't tolerate it. So again, we have a quote here, Greek statesman in order in ancient Athens would say, mistresses we keep for the sake of pleasure, concubines for daily care of the body, but wives to bear us legitimate children. Again, there's your picture of the cultural context in which Paul's addressing this right now. And this is where I really wanted to get to. So sexual immorality, the Greek word for this is porneia. We hear this word, and when you say it, you kind of get a sense of what it means in our culture today. Pornography, it's where we get that. And the idea, it comes in many different definitions, one of them being fornication, right? This is in a fornication, sex outside of a, uh, what we deem as a right relationship, meaning in, in uh, biblically speaking, a marriage between a man and a woman, right? So anything outside of that, premarital sex, sex with somebody um, outside of your, your, your covenant marriage relationship, being adultery, sex with someone of the same gender, even if you're married. Paul's talking about all these different things in that word porneia, and porneia can be defined as fornication, sexual morality, and the third definition of it is idolatry. How does that open up your mind a little bit to what that means? Broader. Broader. When you take things outside of that covenant relationship you have with your spouse, you're placing whatever that is above God because it's above God's command. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden it's now become idolatry. Mm -hmm. So sexual morality, sexual morality, idolatry, and fornication are all in the same word. If that peels back a layer for you. And we see... Hmm, why did I put these here? Let's read these. So let's go... If I could have someone take Ephesians 5, 1 through 13. Oh, this is all, this is all sexual morality. Yeah, and then Colossians 3, 5 through 7. If someone could take that for me. Thank you, Ross. First <coughs> Thessalonians 4, 1 through 8. I can do it. Thank you. Uh, and then Galatians chapter 5, 19 through 21. Galatians. You'll do both? No, she Oh, Lois took the one before that. Okay, yeah, thank I you. Took Thessalonians. Okay, please. The side of the room. Thank you so much. And we get to this. Uh, all of these different letters are written by Paul, right? So Paul's addressing this issue a lot. And these are all to mission plants, mission churches in different areas around, especially the outside of Israel. So all letters to Gentiles, so to speak. So someone have Ephesians 5, 1 through 13? Yes. Please, take it. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, 
foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. <coughs> For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as a man, such a man is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Thank you. There's a lot to talk about in that section, but we'll try and narrow it down to a couple different things. One of them, is, he says in particular, let no one deceive you otherwise. Why is that? Lead you astray. Huh? Lead you astray, yeah. But, but further <coughs> than that, let no one deceive you otherwise. Let's talk about culture at that time. It's like, everyone's saying, what do you mean you can't, you can't do our weekly Thursday night orgy anymore? Because you're Christian? Come on. We've been doing this for so long, and it's going to be the peer pressure thing. Everyone's doing it. What's really the big deal? And Paul's saying, let no one deceive you, because there's, there's deception in the ease of the embrace of it. And again, Paul's being pretty, pretty harsh here, pretty convicting. Um, and you again, with Ephesians, even... First Corinthians, you see the reflection of it today in our culture. I was talking with a young man, and he's looking to get married. And I'm like, great. Um, but he's been, he's been living with his girlfriend for maybe two or three years. And I'm like, well, tell me a little bit more about that. Well, you know, kid's dad is a pastor. And he's like, well, you know, my dad said this, but you have to realize there are things in the Bible today that are just outdated. I was like... <laughs> I'm like, really? Tell me more. But it was, but that's a perception often today. Well, they, they didn't have to pay, you know, $900 a month for a one-bedroom apartment. That's a lot easier to split with somebody. And if we're going to get married anyway, why not just live together? And if we're going to live together anyway, and we're going to get to get married eventually anyway, why not do the fun stuff now too? And you're just like, whew. And that's the stuff, that's that cultural embrace. Do you see what I mean? And this is a pastor's kid. You know, kid of good faith, nice guy, but you're just like, you see where Paul's talking about in Ephesians, do not let yourself be deceived. Because everyone's going to tell you what's the big deal anyway. And that's when we take, again, that he, he calls even the people here in Ephesians idolaters, taking your thoughts, culture, culture's opinion, and placing it above God's command. And you're just like, and he's like, he's, and he's really like, hammering it there. He's like, even those that place all these things above you, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, there's a slippery slope with that. I get it. He's talking about living that unrepentant life. And I'm just like, whoo, doggy, that's tough. That's it's hard to see. And see it today, but see it then. Who has Colossians chapter 3? I do. Please, Ross. Chapter 3, 5 through 7. Just a couple. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly na nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Mm -hmm. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. 
and then it goes on. Yeah, like, and it goes, you must and it goes on. Of all <coughs> yep, and it, 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 it can go a lot further. So again, we're seeing here. This is the way that you once were, and Paul will talk about that later in this First uh, Corinthians chapter five when he talks about the old leaven and the new dough and the unleavened bread. This is the way you used to be, and oh, <laughs> the right way. I won't say this correctly, but kind of try and understand my point. He's like, that's the way you used to live. And that was, in that point, you were living in ignorance. <coughs> Often we take that word as a bad thing. What it really means is you just didn't know. Like, you know, I'm, I am ignorant of what my wife needs for makeup. I have no idea. I'll say, get whatever you need. But, I, but oh, what do you think between these two? I'm like, I'm ignorant. I have no <laughs> idea. And I, I don't know if there's any amount of education you could give me that would help me make your decision. It, it's one of those. Ignorant doesn't mean a bad thing. Paul's like, hey, you were ignorant before. It's the way you used to live. But here's the thing. Now you know. Now you know. <laughs> you know better now. <coughs> so why would you go back? And that's where that sin is one of like, oh, now it's, now it's pretty bad news. And they're, slip, they're slipping up. You know, we, we get that. But there's consciously doing it in an unrepentant way. I deserve this. Don't you realize it's a biological need now? that I have to have this, you know, this sexual morality. And again, that's the, that's the third letter we've read, that within the same two verses, sexual morality and idolatry are in the same category. First um, Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 8. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you His Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. A person does not reject um, a person, but they reject God because of the sexual morality, which is, again, idolatry. Right? And we call you to live this way now. The pagans don't know any better. Right? They lived in ignorance. You want this as well. Again, he's making not just the same point. Oh, there's, there's, oh, oh, so uh, a part of the First Thessalonians over here had to do with discipline. <clears throat> Control your desires, he says. Do not give in to all these temptations. Again, why do we discipline? One of the main points that we highlighted was for the sake of yourself, but also for the sake of others. Right? If you can't control your temptation of sexual morality, like he mentions over here, you will cause somebody else to stumble. You can't, it's really hard to do it alone. But right? it's a natural thing. It's a biological need, <laughs> according to some. Right? Yeah. He's saying that you're, you're, you're taking somebody else down with you yeah. Yeah. when it comes to this. Last one, Galatians 5. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, mm -hmm. dissensions, divisions, <coughs> envy, <coughs> drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, 
that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the works of the flesh, and this goes back to, I think it was 1 Corinthians chapter, either late chapter 2 or early chapter 3, where he talks about the natural man. And then there's the, the one who has the spirit of God. Right? We want to be the ones who have the spirit of God. The natural man is born into sin. That list that he just gives over here, we don't really need any help figuring those out, do we? <laughs> no one had to teach me how to do these things or to set them up or how to give into my own desires. And it's almost counterintuitive that we have to learn the, the good and gracious ways of God. Well, it is counterintuitive to the natural man, to the one who the Spirit dwells within. Again, there's new life. And those things become more of that natural person, not the sinful natural person, but more of your natural way of being because the Spirit of God is within you and dwelling in you richly. Right? So again, sexual immorality. What do you gather from each of these sections? We kinda, I kind of unpacked it as we went. But sexual immorality and idolatry. You don't need much help giving in to them. Um, it's kind of the natural sinful way, but you know better now. You were once in ignorance and darkness. Uh, that was our, our first section that I think Nan read. You were once in ignorance and darkness, but now you are in light. It's very different. And John does that a lot throughout his gospel. He uses darkness and light, which can mean um, knowledge and ignorance. It could mean life and death. It could mean... Uh, uh, the spirit of God and, and shadow or sin, things like that. So that imagery is used a lot scripturally. And you especially see it here. Darkness is ignorance, light is life. If you've been walking in the light, why are you going to go step in the darkness? Is what he's talking about. You already know better. And you see it here in 1 Corinthians. He's got a very fatherly relationship with this church. I think um, more than any other letter you see that. He's, he's, the, he's like, I've, I've helped you. I've walked you through so much. I'm like your dad. But like your dad, I need, need to discipline you. you know. And discipline's an act of love. I, no one dis, uh, it breaks my heart when I've got to discipline my kids. It breaks my heart. I, I only have to just threaten with a timeout, and, and they start crying. And, I'm, and it hurts me, but I'm like, I, trust me, I know for, the, for your sake and your development, we need to correct your behavior. We need to, give you a bet, we need to instruct you in virtue. We need to make sure you're not hurting yourself as well as others. Right? There's a lot of these parts of discipline, but it hurts my heart to do it. But I know, for your sake, it is much better. Paul's writing these things. I can only imagine him just being beet red, you know, having a tear go down his cheek, because he's like, we have to work through this, guys. You know, he talks about spiritual milk and solid food earlier, uh, right. chapter 3. He's like, you guys have been on spiritual milk too long. you got to mature. And this is just one of those signs of immaturity within the church going on over here. And why does Paul have to write about this so often to the Gentiles in particular? They were in the ignorance of doing this all the time, and now they're in the light. Jews did not have this, right? Sexual morality, and we'll, uh, is that the next part? Did I go backwards? No, oh, yeah, so the, um, this has been a very important part of Jewish culture, adultery, things like that, sticking with the Ten Commandments. You get into this next one. What should, let me read that second verse. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So again, this is a sexual morality among you of a kind that is not even tolerated by pagans, for a man has his father's wife. But not his mom. Not his mom. Yep, so it's not a man and his mom. That's a Greek tragedy, Oedipus Rex, that, that deals with that. I think they knew to avoid that. But it's a man and his it could be his stepmom or his, 
his mother-in-law. So there are two laws, and this is how bad it is. It's not even tolerated among pagans. There were two laws. You see Greco-Roman law here. Neither can I marry her. So uh, this is a man to his mother-in-law. Neither can I marry her who has been aforetime uh, been my mother-in-law or stepmother or daughter-in-law or stepdaughter. And the standard punishment for this, you see it? Banishment to an island. You were, you were literally banished to an island of other, like a prison island, other people that did this kind of stuff. Right? And this is just, this is Gentile culture. The pagans, the ones in ignorance, they're like, even they know it's not a good thing. But then Paul even references over here, so the Torah, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 6, sexual relations with the wife of one's father, um, it's defined as obscene. And the standard punishment of this was execution by stoning if a man was to have fornicate with his mother-in-law. So you kind of get, it's like the degree of it. You know, you could almost, I don't, you would not. You can kind of justify it a little bit in your own mind, a little bit if you really wanted to one day. It's like, oh, they're not married. They're not blood related or something like that. I guess if you were trying to figure it out for them. But even at culture at this time, they're like, it's so bad. Was it because of the family unit? Or what? Why was it so bad? Because of uh, destroying. Why was it, sure. Why, why, why was it so bad? Um, you know, I didn't. I didn't bother looking that much well, into it. Uh, well, <laughs> I don't mean that. As a, I, I'm ignorant of it because I'm like, it just I, it seems bad to me. It's almost <laughs> I know it's bad too. Yeah. I just. I just it's, it's almost incestuous. Yeah, they would call it incestuous, even though it's not. You know, it's a horrible thing to like get nitpicky on it. It's not really incest because you're not blood related, but yeah, it's not a DNA thing. I think part of it is it was your father's wife. Marriage, and that that was Mm -hmm. somehow, yeah, okay, yeah, violating. Even if you're not technically being incestuous, it's it's about the relation. I think it's it's the family structure. If I were to go with it, Jewish family structure, the father being the head of the family, it being mm-hmm. patriarchal. Just uh, like if I had a brother and my and my brother had a wife and he died, I was then the one to have that was supposed to take his wife as my own. Yeah. But you don't do that with your dad's mom. She is now the widow that you are caretaker of, or your dad's wife, even if it's her second wife, okay. not your mom. You become her caretaker, okay. right? You. Um, in our, there has to be something it'll be I'm in First Kings today when yeah. Elijah resurrects the the widow's son, because that was her lifeline. <clears throat> That's what she lived by. And, Gre- and Greco culture wasn't all that different than Jewish culture in that time, especially okay, in so the world. Just to explain, you then, it, Deb, in, yeah. In the physical sense, when you have sexual intercourse with someone, you are having sexual intercourse with everyone they ever had sexual intercourse with. <laughs> So if you have sexual intercourse with your father's wife, you're having <laughs> sexual intercourse with your father. And that's what that, that's it's odd. what causes... It's a yucky way to get in there. Deb, what would you like to add to that? Not to that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That's fine. Uh-huh. But really, marriage is, is a relationship of God with his people. So mm-hmm. when you're doing this, you're outside of, you're going outside of what God Absolutely, and we're speaking that within a, a Christian context, but also even a Jewish context, right? Over here in Leviticus, the, the Jewish Bible over here in the Torah. Um, but even it was so bad, even culture at that time, who embraces all other sexual morality, found it to be 
found it to be that bad. But the father and son cannot have a good friendship or a bond like they had before because now it's ruined beyond. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so the father's still alive. <clears throat> oh, good. It doesn't say that. He could be. He might not be. But well, I don't need. I don't need to know. <laughs> I don't need to know because it's already bad. Why is Paul upset? Right? And it's again. We're now. We're kind of now that we've defined what's going on and we have a clear idea culturally of what's happening and how this is happening kind of everywhere throughout all the other letters. You put Top Gun Danger Zone here because. Um, we get to, and you are arrogant, right? Being puffed up. What is that they're arrogant about? And again, this is where I mentioned this word. It's a hot button topic, the danger of tolerance, right? Because you'll see he's talking about within the walls of the church is what he's addressing, not necessarily the culture outside of it. He's addressing from the walls inside of the church, from within yourself, a man who calls himself your brother. We read that later on. A man who calls himself your brother is outright unrepentant and living this life of fornicating with his mother-in-law that apparently everybody knows about and as a church you're puffed up and arrogant about it meaning you're tolerant of it well you know look who we've accepted into our church and we'll we'll, we'll walk with this man and it'll be just fine you know there's no <clears throat> punishment he says you're being arrogant about it and almost seemingly proud rather you should mourn is what he says at verse 2 or 3 you have to realize He's addressing, there's a spiritual death that has happened. Mm -hmm. You should be mourning this man, his unrepentant lifestyle with his mother-in-law, and not celebrating it, and not being puffed up or tolerant or arrogant about it. Because essentially what he's saying, the worst thing as a church, what you can do is nothing. The, the worst way you can love somebody is by doing nothing. Rather, he says, they should be cut off. Does that say removed? Well, it should be, it'll say removed, but it only means cut off, meaning life support completely done, meaning separate them from you. Right, but isn't that if they, like, choose to not, you know, you sure. say to them, this is wrong, you yeah. shouldn't be doing there, this, and they refuse. That's there, there are many steps oh, in the I middle see. of that, yes. Mm -hmm. So we're talking, Paul's at the end of it. You know, they, and he, he that, gosh, Paul even outlines this to you, you should take, or Jesus does too even, right? Just go... Uh, go with, go with, you know, first address them their sin if they don't listen. Then take a brother with you and talk to him, someone that has wronged you. And then take them before the congregation and talk to them about it. And then bring them before the church leadership and then talk to them about it. And even if all that doesn't work, if they're all still unrepentant, then there's that, you know, the word excommunicate, <coughs> which means cut off, which means removed. And Paul has a reason for that because, again, that's discipline. But the danger of tolerance is not embracing the discipline that goes with it. Because God's discipline, and discipline done in a godly way, as we addressed in the beginning, is a form of love. You know, if someone's going to run off a cliff, you would do whatever you could to stop them. If my son's about to stick a fork in a light socket, I'm going to stop him. And I'm going to tell him that it's wrong. Because the last thing I need him to do is to do it when I'm not around. You know, for the sake of not hurting himself. If I have, if, you know, you see it, I don't want to say on TV, but you've, you've seen it and heard of it often. You keep someone who keeps a bunch of dogs and doesn't train any of them. And the dogs fight, and then someone walks in, or, or someone delivers a package and gets attacked. That's not a loving thing for your dog or the person by them. You're not keeping them safe for their sake or the sake of others. Right? I say dog, that's, that's an easy thing to, ha to consider, but that same thing applies to people. You don't discipline your children. They don't necessarily understand the consequences of how they're hurting themselves and they're hurting others. And in the context of this man and his relationship 
with his mother-in-law. You don't understand how he's hurting. He doesn't understand how he's hurting himself and his family and others. How he's going outside the virtues of God. How he's um, not just appropriate behavior, but responsible behavior as one who's a, Paul referenced chapter 2, right? A steward of God's mysteries. If someone says, I'm a Christian, like, you're a steward of the mysteries of God and his salvation. But you're living this way that's outside of it. And that's what people see. Does that make sense? That's why this is so bad, especially in the early church. You know, there's not a ton of Christians. It's not like it is today where it's, I think, 2.8 billion or something around the world. Like, there's a lot of people who call themselves Christians, even if they don't live by it. But at that time, there were not. And if someone goes, oh, if that's how a Christian's supposed to be, that's, I guess I can do it too. So that's the danger he's, he's going in over here. Now we're moving on. Verse 3 through 5. Who can read 3 through 5 for me? Thank you, Deb. Please. Since I'm on this side of them. <laughs> Woo! Other side! <laughs> Go other side. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as mm-hmm. if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. All right. Hold on a second. Now that's something to get your head around. All right. Hey, you know, for the sake of this man's soul, let's deliver him to Satan. Paul, that's some odd-sounding instruction. What do you mean by that? What do you think he means by that? How would that be unpacked? If they're going to get him out of the church, I mean, you talked about that, you're disciplining him and removing from the church. That's yep. him up to their... Here's your church, and here's your pagans, and your... Yep. So what's the only fellowship uh, outside of Christ? Does that make sense? What's the only other fellowship outside of Christ? Fellowship of the devil. Fellowship of the devil. Exactly. Jesus says that many times. I've come to divide, he says. Mother from brother, father from son. All these, I've come to divide. And he says that you're with me or against me. He tells us in Revelation, I wish that you were either hot or cold. For whether you were hot or cold, I could do something about that. But you're lukewarm, he says. So I spit you out of my mouth. Right? I separate you from me. That excommunication that he's talking about, that separation is a discipline for the sake of the one receiving it. Well, if he has a worldly attitude, deliver him to the devil. Have him outside of the church, and it's that reminder. So he doesn't know what he's doing is okay. So that when he sees the embrace of it within culture, the idea of it is so outside the church, the law will convict him, and maybe he'll bring him back to repentance. Maybe once he's separated, and he's dealing with the endurance and trials that the law has given him, because this is even not acceptable in the cultural time then, well, that could save his soul. You know, uh, small catechism in the preface over here. But those who refuse to learn are to be told that they are denying Christ and do not belong to him. They are not to be admitted to the sacrament, accepted as sponsors of baptism, or allowed to exercise Christian liberty in any way. They should simply be, uh, they should instead be simply directed back to Satan himself. Right? We, we hear this read scripturally, to the prince of this world. Now, so, is this assuming that he's been that this is wrong, that has yes. been offered many times. Like this. Yes, this isn't, this isn't a one-strike-you're-out thing. thing. Yes. 
Although what he's doing is really bad and living an unrepentant lifestyle, the thing is the church is being tolerant of it. In fact, the church probably hasn't come to him with it at all. And they're like, he's like, this is what should happen to this guy. And we know about God's infinite mercy and grace that most likely, again, we don't have like the story of what's happening. Most likely what they would do is now come to this man saying, Paul said, as your judge, as the one looking over the people within this church, as he mentioned in these verses over here, that you should be excommunicated. That's not what we want for you, and that's not what you want for yourself. Will you, re- uh, will you repent of this lifestyle? That's how I'd imagine it going. If I got a call down from God, um, from Paul, saying, hey, I'm calling from heaven, thought I'd need to let you know, in your church, you're being really tolerant of this one guy that's doing this stuff, you know, having uh, fornication with his mother-in-law. Um, if you don't, this is what should happen to him, so you should go and talk to him. Is the idea. Yes? Dead. Well, the only thought, you know, Pastor Diener talked about it in the sermon today. Mm-hmm. If, um, what is the worst thing that can happen to you, right? Yep. It's to be Christ. separated from God, and that's what, right? Yep, it's exactly right. No. And and so, so to be <laughs> tolerant of that and the separation from God, idolatry, right? Again, it's the thing God lists first. Like, you, put, you place anything above me, you're worshiping mm-hmm. it. And if you're tolerating that within your own church, people can sit in your pews and be separated from God and not saved. It's not about what you do, right? We hear this often. It's by grace through faith that you are saved. Not on account of your own works and that no man may boast. It's not about, but God, I go to church every Sunday. But God, I volunteer at the food pantry. But God, I make sure I check all the marks. These works are good. And they're beneficial for the sake of your neighbor, but they're not what saves you. It's like, I can check, you know, in our, in our society right now, we, we reflect on that often. doesn't matter how many good things you say, you, you do, and how many good things out there people are saying they're doing. We know what really saves, and we look with sadness. As we hear, you know, funerals and things like that, where the list has to be three hours long. And you go, well, this person should have been good enough, Right? Are we good? Because I, I, it's almost like a lawyer. i got to prove it if I've got nothing else. And Paul's saying, you don't want this guy to say, i got to prove it somehow. You want him to say, I, I rest on, on Jesus Christ. But you need some discipline to correct his behavior because he's pursuing this path that's further and further away from God. Oh, good. Only a few minutes left. So, <clears throat> in our society nowadays, though... Yeah. They're going to say, but you guys are so judgmental. Right. I yep. was just thinking that. So this is where... And, and I, how can a loving God... So, so <laughs> we're, run, we're running yeah. short on time, but Paul's going to talk about that right at the end, exactly oh. what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And he's saying... I'm going I'm to skip to the end just to... Uh, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy, or the swindlers, or idolaters, since you would need to go out of the world. Meaning, it's a fallen, broken world. That's, that's where we're at. He continues, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual morality, greed, or is an idolater, <laughs> or a viler, drunker, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. And then, here's your point here, Ross. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. 
Mm -hmm. We so, missed that part. It says, you, are you not to judge those inside the church? I don't think we ever hear that quoted. No, we don't. In fact, the world. I, one of my main points here, which is lost in, at the end of this, is um, we often have it backwards. We often love to look outside of our walls here at church and say, look at all those people. Yeah. Look how bad they are. Look what culture's doing today. Look at the world today. Paul says, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't be able to go shopping at Fred Meyer if it was your job to judge everybody out, outside the walls of the church. But that's not your job, he says. We leave that to God. It is your job to have correction inside of the church. And again, talking about church leadership and, and the, the, the congregation as a whole. It's like, and that's tough, because Jesus will tell you, you know, first take the, first, before you pick the speck out of your brother's eye, take the log out of your own. Jesus calls for a lot of self-examination before we go, but yet, he's saying this judgment and discipline is, is done as an act of love. You hear, you, you'll hear it in the sermon today, there's a part of the discipline that, that God brings to us, that we have to realize correction's an act of love. So I'm not putting the fork in the light socket. Right? But again, you can only talk to those who are no longer in ignorance about these things. And that's kind of the middle part of this. He says, cut the old leaven out from among you. You know, that old leaven, the old way it used to be, the way you lived in darkness, will infect your Christian life. A little bit of yeast is what can infect a whole loaf. Right? You're the unleavened bread of Christ. Mm -hmm. This is what it gets to that. So judge those inside the church, those who are walking in the light that like to dabble in the darkness. Or those who say that are in the light but are walking in darkness. Does that make sense? And Jesus talks about that, John chapter 3, 19 through 21. We talk about 16 all the time. 19 through 21 says, "Stop! Uh, people love to walk in darkness. Stop walking in darkness because I brought you the new light of life. Walk in the light of life. Yeah, we'll have many people within our, you know, I, I won't talk about this church, but there will be people within church, especially here in Corinth that he's addressing, that are walking in darkness, but they're saying, hey, no, no, I'm in the light. I'm over there. Because no one's told me better otherwise. And no one has disciplined me otherwise. And you're like, oh. And it's not like, the, you know, I sin and I can't help it. Lord, save me, forgive me, I'm repentant. It's the ones that say, well, there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. It's, it's a big difference. And let me, let me give you this gospel point before we leave, because that's a, that's a lot. This, we didn't get to the gospel part that's in the middle, which is that um, you know, Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. He says, eat of the bread of the Passover. Eat of the bread of life, which is Christ. The Passover lamb's been sacrificed for us. And I say that because there, there are periods of life where I've walked out right in sin, and I've, been, I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. <coughs> Yet we have that continual sacrifice of Jesus. That's why repentance is important. Repentance, again, isn't the thing that saves you initially. It's Christ. But now as one who's saved, you know better. Lord, I, I can't believe I did this again. I've given in to my sinful temptations of the flesh. Jesus, your blood has been shed for me. Please forgive me and take the sin upon yourself. Let me be resurrected with you. And I know that I am because it's by grace through faith that I'm saved. You have that great gospel point that you don't want to miss. It's in the middle. But this is, this is a heavy-handed chapter Paul's getting to. And in our, our culture today, it resonates a lot, right? It, and, you're, and, all you, and all you can hear is all the arguments in your head with all the people that you know when you read it. And I'm like, oh. That's why I tell people, I'm like, it's exegetical. I'm only telling you what the text says. Please don't stone me. But I guess I should be because that's my job is to proclaim, as all Christians are, proclaim the truth of God's word. Let me end with a prayer and we'll, we'll head out.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this letter and Lord, the, the walk through it and how, how it's, it can be a, such a struggle at times. But I thank you for enlightening us, not just to the culture at that time, but how it applies to us today. And I ask you, Lord, to, to help us curb those temptations and those, those sins, the, flesh, the passions of the flesh we want to give into, and let us embrace even that discipline where Paul lists all these do not, do not, do not, and do, do, do. Let us embrace that as instruction and correction and love that you have for us to help us live a life that's full of your grace, mercy, and truth for not just our sake, but for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ and those who we have yet to serve. Thank you for that, and thank you for this time together. Pray this all in your name, Jesus, and all God's people said. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.